0: And if we continue on in that passage, we'll find that Jesus says what at the end? He says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why? Because Jesus wrote that. Can you imagine that the very God who inspired Isaiah to write those words was sitting in that synagogue that day? And so Paul is emulating his master by going into the synagogue, as was his custom. Alright, well, as we begin today, and for those who do not know, we will be in Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 14, so if you want to turn there. That would be great. Um, As we begin today, I want to give you a little bit of an illustration. I started thinking a few weeks ago, just randomly, because I grew up in in West Michigan in the Grand Rapids area. I was like, I wonder how many (coughs) Grand Rapids cities there are in America. So I did a Google search, and I found that there are actually five in the U.S., and there's actually one in Canada. There's actually a Grand Rapids, Manitoba, Canada, for those who may not have known that. And why do I bring this up? Well, first of all, as a short story, when I was a little kid, I went to Florida for an athletic competition. I was 10 years old. And somebody asked me where I was from, and I said, I'm, I'm from Grand Rapids. Now, this is the first time I'd ever really tra- traveled for a substantial time outside the state, so I assumed everybody knew where Grand Rapids was, and he, and this person said, well, you're from Minnesota then, aren't you? And I, at that point, I did not know that Minnesota had a Grand Rapids. So that was my first personal uh, experience with that. Um, but it's just really interesting to me how we can have there can be many different cities named the same I think um, in my research I found that Greenville is one of the most popular cities in the entire United States and um, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because when you first glance at the second part of Uh, Acts chapter 13 and you find that Paul is preaching in Antioch you might be confused because previously in I believe Acts chapter 11 we've seen Paul and Barnabas do ministry in Antioch but this is in fact a second Antioch I actually in my research yesterday I found that there are 17 ancient cities named Antioch (coughs) Uh, There was a ruler by the name of Antiochus who, uh, I guess, thought a whole lot of himself. Mm -hmm. So he named a bunch of ancient cities after himself. (laughs) And that is how those things came to be. But this is the information that I found um, on learnthebible.org about the Antioch of which we speak today says the ancient world had a number of cities named Antioch. Most of them were founded by Seleucus I, who ruled from 305 to 281 BC. He was the founder of the Seleucid Empire that ruled Turkey from Turkey to Iran. He named the city after his father Antioch. Two of these Antioch cities are in the New Testament. They are Antioch of Poseidia, in Antioch of Syria. So we've already been to Antioch of Syria in our study, so today we're going to be in Antioch of Pisidia. So, with that background, and with that introduction, we will see the first recorded sermon of Paul's first missionary journey. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul wrote to us in Romans that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And Paul exemplified this at least in his early ministry of his initial stop was off in the synagogue. And that's where he finds himself is in the synagogue as we begin to read. And my message today is um, Paul preaches at Antioch. We're actually probably going to finish his sermon uh, next time, but we're going to, to start this sermon of Paul preaching in Antioch. So we're going to... Look, first, that Paul is asked to share in the synagogue. This is significant. Paul is respected. People probably still know, knew him as a teacher of the Sanhedrin. And so he has this respected place in the minds of a lot of people. So, so here's how this started. Starting in verse 14 of Acts chapter 13 and reading through verse 16. Acts thirteen fourteen to 16 says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Poseidon and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. In my research I found that that Jewish synagogues often had this pattern of reading through the the Pentateuch and the prophets continuously. And so They would start out their meeting with those readings and then they would um, invite people who they respected to get up and give a word of encouragement or exhortation. And this is the situation that Paul is given. And we know early on in Paul's conversion, what's the first thing he did after he was saved and was baptized? He went into the synagogues and preached that Jesus was the Christ. He didn't wait. Now, of course, this passage takes place after his three-year experience with Jesus in the deserts of Arabia, of which he has alluded to but not really spoken extensively about. But we know that Paul was appointed an apostle directly by God. And some people call themselves apostles today. But what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? The difference between an apostle and a disciple is that each of the apostles, and this is the reason we don't believe that apostles exist today, you would not, some people might, call me Apostle in New, but I would never refer to myself as that because an Apostle has the distinction of having a visitation and a commission from the physical bodily Christ. Paul saw the physical Christ on the road to Damascus and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Paul talks about how God was merciful in making him an apostle and putting him in the ministry. And it's interesting, in this early part of the church, Paul doesn't shun the synagogue. <clears throat> he doesn't totally shun the Sabbath. No, he goes into the synagogue. Because what did Jesus say? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So Paul is about to use this springboard of the prophets and the Pentateuch to show that Jesus is the Christ. That is his goal in coming in to this situation. He was asked to speak and he was ready to speak. I think it was Peter who said, be ready always to give an answer to every man, the reason for the hope that lies within you. And that has been my goal since I surrendered to the Lord at 14 to ministry, that has been my goal. To always be ready at all times to give an answer to every man to the hope that lies within me. Because I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. But I also know that Jesus Christ is living in me. According to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And the life that I now live is the life that I live. Through him, can we uh, look by way of cross reference at Luke 4, 16 to eighteen? Luke four sixteen to eighteen. I want you to see that Paul is imitating his master. The Lord Jesus. If someone gets there, if a gentleman could stand and read it for us, that would be awesome. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. The Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, proclaiming the Lord the year of the Lord's favor. Thank you. And if we continue on in that passage, we'll find that Jesus says what at the end? He says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why? Because Jesus wrote that. Can you imagine that the very God who inspired Isaiah to write those words was sitting in that synagogue that day. And so Paul is emulating his master by going into the synagogue as was his custom. And and like Jesus... He is given this opportunity to share in the synagogue. So, what is he going to do? Let's look at the next section of our passage today. And Paul is going to teach a history lesson. You know, I think a lot of what is going on in our culture today, as the United States of America, Is because we don't understand our history. It's a common phrase that is used often. I don't know who originally coined it, but it says this. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And when I look across our nation today, I see people that are historically illiterate. And the sadder part is that I look across our churches today and I see a people who are biblically illiterate. You can't defend the word of truth unless you know the word of truth. And knowing the word of truth takes work. What did Paul say? He said, be a workman. Be active in the work of knowing the scriptures so that you can rightly divide the word of truth. And more than ever before, we need people, specifically men, but women as well, who can rightly divide the word of truth and commit it unto faithful men who are able to teach others also. That is my number one passion in my ministry, is to teach people the word of God so that they can walk closer with Jesus Christ and affect the next generation for him. Because we learn from the children of Israel over and over again that it only takes one generation to forget God. Alexis de Tocqueville said that America is good because America is great. And if America ever ceases to be great... Or America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And why did he say America was good? He didn't say America was good because they had sweeping lands. He didn't say because of the mountains. He didn't say because of the great laws. He said because the fire of the gospel in the pulpits of America. That is why America was great. So if we want America to be great again, we need to get the fire of the gospel back into our pulpits. And so, the Apostle Paul, in this next section, verses 17 to 23, 22, 17 to 22, Is going to teach a history lesson to the Israelites and also there's some indication that there may be some Gentiles in this service as well listen to what he says then Paul stood up and beckoned beckoning with his hand said men of Israel ye that fear God Give audience so he's talking about he makes two separate statements men of Israel and ye that fear God the God of this people Israel of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a an high arm brought he them out of it God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Yes, he used Moses, but Moses was just a man. He didn't have the power to bring them out of Egypt. And about the time of 40 years, suffered he their manners in the wilderness. So for 40 years, the people of Israel complained against God in the wilderness They were supposed to go into the land after two or three weeks, remember? And they sent 12 spies and Caleb and Joshua came back all excited and they said, the Lord has given us this land, let's go take it. And the 10 other spies said, the land is wonderful, but there's giants in the land. If only they had realized, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But because they didn't, they wandered 40 years in the wilderness and what did God say about them? He said, Your clothes will not wear out. Your shoes will not break. Imagine waking up every every day and your shoes are just as good as the day you left Egypt. But this is what He said. Your clothes aren't going to wear out. Your shoes aren't going to break. But you're going to die in the wilderness. And your children will take the land. And even Moses is barred from the land. Why? Because he starts to get a big head. And he says, Do we need to give you water from this rock? Who was giving them water? It wasn't Moses. It was God. When Moses and Aaron started taking credit for what God was doing, God said, Okay, Moses. Aaron, you won't be going in to the promised land. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So he's going through this whole Lesson of first there was the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Then there was the 450 years of the Judges. If you look at the book of Judges, you find that they surrendered to God. And then they would go back to God. And then they would surrender to God. And then they would go back from God. And then they would surrender to God. And then they would go back from following God. Continuous cycle. And yet God never fully abandoned them. There's probably a variety of beliefs on that, but this is why I believe that God still has an ultimate plan for the people of Israel. Because he never fully abandoned them throughout all of the Old Testament. Why would he do so now? But Paul is continuing... To Lay out his case, and then he says, And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave them unto Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. So, for 40 years, they're under Saul. Remember, this is what they wanted, despite all the warnings of Samuel, this is what they wanted. And what did God say to Samuel? He said, give them what they desire. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. That's an important thing for us to remember, too. When we're speaking for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if people mock us, or even if they kill us someday, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the one who died for them. Jesus said, if people hate you, remember they hated you first. And when he had removed him, he raised it up unto him David to be another king to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who shall fulfill all my will. And Paul is giving this testimony about David, even though he was a murderer, even though he was an adulterer, even though he called for censuses a couple of different times, without the authority or the authorization of God, even though he did these sins. Why? Because even though David was a sinner like unto Saul, David had a personal relationship with God. And when David sinned, His conscience pricked him until he surrendered and asked for forgiveness from Almighty God. When God says, what kind of punishment do you want? David says, let me fall into the hands of God, for there I might find mercy. Isn't that a wonderful thing as a believer in the Lord Jesus that when we sin we can fall into the hands of God for there (coughs) we can find mercy. Oh that the world would understand that. It's not about trying to get them to do what we want them to do or trying to get them to do something different that is so much worse than what they're doing now. It's about falling into the hands of the mercy of Almighty God. Because there's coming a day when He will come as a judge and there will be no more mercy. There's coming a day when the final battle of all mankind will happen and God will win the victory and those who are on the wrong side, will be sent to the lake of fire for eternal torment. For those who may not think about hell as real, let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus talk more about hell than he did about heaven? Because he knew that you could end up there if you didn't trust him. And then he says, Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. What did God say to Joseph those many long years ago? He said, Do not fear to take unto thee, Mary thy wife, for that which is is conceived of her is conceived of the Holy Ghost. And when he is born, he will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. There's probably no more wonderful promise in the scripture than that promise that God gave Joseph that day. Joseph wasn't a perfect man. But he wasn't just man. Mary wasn't a perfect woman. She said in her Magnificat, the Lord has regarded the lowliest estate of his enemy. My spirit shall rejoice. In God, my Savior. She knew she wasn't perfect. He knew. Joseph knew he wasn't perfect, but they also knew that God had called them to this special task. So Paul has just walked them through the Old Testament very briefly and said, I'm here. To testify of Jesus. What did he say his main calling was? To preach Christ and him crucified. Today so often we don't preach Christ and him crucified. Jesus was crucified so that you and I could have new life in him. And today we seem to have watered down the gospel and we tell people they can come to church the way they are, which is true. God does say, come as you are. But he also says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Paul is making the case, all of these laws, all of these proclamations of the prophets, they led up to one thing, and that is the birth of Jesus, who, as we talked about earlier today, Came in the fullness of time to redeem those who are under the law. <laughs> Isn't it so good to know that God knew what He was doing, that He had a plan? <coughs> if you look at First Samuel 13, 13 and 14. 1 Samuel 13, 13 and 14. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now with the Lord hath established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him not kept that the Lord thee. There's another part of that passage or another passage where Samuel is talking to Saul and says the Lord has sought him someone better than you. What a sobering thing for Saul to realize the Lord has sought someone better than you. And as we're looking at this, this glimpse at Israel's past, I just want to share this quote. It says, The past is valuable as a guidepost, but dangerous if used as a hitching post. We should learn from our past. But we shouldn't dwell on our past. Paul frequently talked about his past and about the things that he was guilty of and the things that God redeemed him from. But he also said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I seek To lay hold of that for which he laid hold of me. So keeping the past in perspective is important. Our third section Paul shares the good news. Jesus. Acts 13, 23-31. Acts 13, 23-31. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior Jesus, whom John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you fear God, to you is the word of salvation sent. So, he's talking to the Israelites and any proselytites that might be there. He's saying, this salvation is for you. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and and their rulers, because they know him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Those are sharp words. You could go to Psalm 22 and you would find that all through that day when Jesus was tormented on the cross the people that had to memorize Psalm 22 when they were in their Jewish studies especially to be in the Sanhedrin they had to know what Psalm 22 said and yet they were fulfilling everything about the evil people there in Psalm 22. And they condemned him. And you notice in the scriptures, they didn't condemn him because they they thought, well, he's not God so much. I mean, I think one time they called him a devil. So there was a time when they literally said, he's not God. But their biggest reason for condemning him is because he took away their popularity. They had popularity, they had sway people listened to what they said, people liked their long prayers, or supposedly they liked their long prayers. And suddenly this upstart rabbi comes out of the woodwork and speaks as no other man spoke. Remember, they tried to arrest him once in the town square, so to speak, and what happened? The men came back empty-handed. And they said, why are you coming back empty-handed? And what was their response? No man spoke like this man. And why did he speak with such authority? Because this is the same one who at one time in eternity past said, Let there be light. And there was light. Do you ever stop and just marvel at that? That the one who said, Let there be light, said to Peter, Fear not, for from now on you will catch men. When all Peter could say is, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Jesus said, Fear not. Because he created Peter, and he knew who Peter would be once he surrendered to God. He knows your potential if you surrender to Him. And though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they, Pilate, that He should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of them, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a sepulcher. But God, Don't you love that phrase, but God? It's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible because you know when you see it, something exciting is about to happen. But God raised him from the dead. That is the whole hope of our salvation, folks. The tomb is empty. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried for three days. As Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. And just as the whale spit Jonah up on the shore, Jesus rose from the grave. Because he said he would. Because he's a promise-keeping God. He promised Eve that there would be a Redeemer coming. Think about that. He promised Eve probably four to six thousand years before this happened. He promised Eve there will be a Redeemer coming. And lo and behold, the Redeemer came. And I find it interesting that because of Eve's sin and Adam's sin. Sin came into the world. And who is the first one that God told about the resurrection? A woman. Things have come full circle. And then Paul just gives the testimonies. He said, And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee and Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So he's like, You've probably heard from Peter and John. Maybe you were even there when they were arrested by the Sanhedrin. When they caused the layman to walk, that everybody knew it was lame. This was not a charlatan, okay? Because it says in the Word, Luke is a man of detail. That's what I like about Luke as a writer. He says, This man was. Forty years lame from his birth. So we're talking about someone like me. I'm in my early forties. I've been forty years lame since my birth. And yet this man begged for silver and gold, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name not not Because I'm Peter, rise up and walk. Or, I'm so great, I'm going to tell you to rise up and walk and give you this gift. No, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they didn't give him crutches for the first little bit. No, Peter reached out his hand took him by the hand, and his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Because God doesn't do things slowly. He does things immediately. That's why I believe when he said, let there be light, there was light. Because God is not restricted. How many times do we read in the Gospels? When Jesus said go your way Your faith has made them Your your daughter as well Or your servant as well And while they're still coming home To see the fulfillment Their servants come to them and say In that self-same hour That you talked to Jesus The hearing came Because Jesus But God is God, and He can speak the words of healing through any distance. I'm so grateful that He is the one that we serve. And my only question to you is, are you serving Him today? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Because He wants you to do that. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is held back for over 2,000 years coming back to earth. Maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe he's waiting for you to make the decision to follow him. Going to... Holland Gospel Chapel for years will not save you. Putting money in the offering will not save you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can do that. In the Old Testament, God told the children of Israel to put the blood on the doorposts of their house, and He He said, "When I see the blood, I will pass over you." And He didn't go into each house and check who was worthy. Because none of them will ruin me. He just said, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's what he says to you and to me. When I see the blood of Jesus Christ, I will pass over you. When I see the blood of Jesus Christ, I will give you entrance into heaven. What a wonderful truth. Let's, um, I'm just going to quote this verse to you Acts 4.12 as my cross reference to what we just talked about Peter and John are speaking and they say for neither is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved Paul addresses this in his own ministry when he says some say I, I am of Paul Some say, I'm of an Apollos. But Paul and Apollos don't matter. What matters is being of Christ. doesn't matter if you're Brethren or Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist. What matters is that you're of Christ. I'm excited to get to heaven and see who made the decision to follow him. Maybe some people that I only had a brief time with. But they're there, not because of my preaching, but because of Jesus' mercy. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to share your word. Thank you for this bold testimony from Lord thank you for the transformation in his life thank you for the encouragement that that is and if you can save one who was breathing murderous threats against followers of the way and make him a follower of the way for your honor and your glory you can definitely do that for us Lord I pray that if there be any here that do, do not know you that today would be the day of their salvation that they would not go to bed tonight before they knew they were right with you Lord, I pray for those of us who are blood-bought saints of yours that we would um, seek to honor you in all we say and do and that we would um, knowing the terror of God we would persuade men to follow the Lord to seek Him while He may be found and above all that we would love people to Jesus. In Jesus' name